This is a Pele Media Podcast. Aloha, Ghostbusters Minute listeners, and welcome to the final episode of Ghostbusters Minute. I know it has been a very long road since 2016, covering the 100 minutes of Ghostbusters, as well as putting out all this bonus content that we really do hope you've enjoyed. It's been a labor of love for us, and again, we want to extend a big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who helped us bring this show to fruition and helped us upgrade our studio and helped us get into our next two Movies by Minute podcasts that are coming later in 2019. We'll talk about those at a later date, but let's talk about Ghostbusters 2 because that is the focus of this episode where you hear myself, Kyle, my brother Brady, and our dear friend, Mr. Christopher McMahon, joining us to talk about Ghostbusters 2. You may remember Chris because he is the guy who did Goonies Minute with Brady. Yeah, that's right. Chris and Brady did Goonies Minute. That was a really great show. If you enjoyed what we've done here in Ghostbusters Minute, if you've enjoyed what we did on Jurassic Park Minute, you would probably like Goonies Minute as well. That's safe to guess. So, folks, we are going to get into Ghostbusters 2. We are going to talk about what we liked about the movie, what we thought were the ugly parts, and the movie's lasting legacy. We do hope you enjoy this conversation, as we hope you enjoyed every last minute of Ghostbusters Minute that we've been bringing to you. Folks, like I said, stay tuned. We have two new Movies by Minute podcasts that are going to be debuting here in 2019. And we think you're going to enjoy them if you've enjoyed the stuff we put out so far. Everyone, have a wonderful rest of 2019. Thank you again so much. We love you very much. Everybody, have a great life. Bye. Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute Ultra Super Patreon Edition. And by the time you're hearing this, the regular Ghostbusters Minute uh, show has come to an end. That's right. And we thank you so much for joining us for that. And uh, we're going to get into something that was requested by a lot of people who listen to the show, and that's Ghostbusters 2. So I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we have a very special guest and Ghostbusters 2 expert, Mr. Chris McMahon here with us. Chris, how are you? Hello. Today? How are y'all? Glad to be here again. We're very happy to have you here. That's right. And I have to ask you something on top of the bat. Uh, in, any relation to the McMahon family of uh, professional wrestling fame? I wish that Vince <laughs> was no. my uncle, uh, a more relation to, or not relation, but a, uh, the former quarterback of the Chicago Bears, Jim McMahon, and really? my uncle share the same name. Uh-huh. So, might be dating me, but back in the third grade when they won the Super Bowl, I used to say, well, my uncle's Jim McMahon, and <laughs> I wouldn't be lying. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, we uh, are not related, and the name is spelled with an O-N, and mine is an A-N. You know, it's... it's uh... But people don't usually catch that. <laughs> Unfortunately, when that happens, I, I got to an age at one point and realized the book Sleepy Hollow isn't a historical record, and my dad was lying to me when he yeah. told me that Ichabod Crane was our ancestor. Your old distant uncle, Ichabod, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the coward of Sleepy Hollow. I think I did exactly. think that was real. Explain so much. Yeah, no, it's more <laughs> of a morality tale, I guess. But, Brady, can you do your um, impression of Ichabod Crane doing his musical scales for us? I, I have one? Yeah. The, the impression of him uh, singing? Oh, Go ahead. Me, 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 me. No, yeah. well, I think it was something else. But anyway, really, well, 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 <laughs> it, it was a bum 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 or something like that. Bum 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 bum. I don't know. I, yeah. Anyway, I'll work on it. Usually around every Halloween, he breaks that out, and it's a lot of fun. But uh, hey, we're here to talk about Ghostbusters two today. Having just wrapped up Ghostbusters one, it felt like the only logical place to go to with this Patreon edition, and uh, it's. Uh, it's an interesting movie. Yeah, I'll put, it, it, I'll put it that way. You know, it's typical of the movies by minutes uh, format that people who are uh, breaking these movies down will roll right on into the sequel. You know, like the Star Wars minute guys have just gone on and taken on all the other ones. Uh, we never, I think it was kind of understood from the beginning that we weren't going to do Ghostbusters 2. And not for any particular reason other than that. 
It's not um, as interesting of a yeah, film. Yeah, I don't think we have a whole lot to say on it, which is why we have someone who's you know got a affection for the movie on mm-hmm. to help us today. But uh, yeah, like you said, it's an interesting movie. It's it was an interesting um, moment in Ghostbusters history. Yeah, yeah, it is, and, and kind of where history for it ended for a long time, mm-hmm. for a multitude of reasons. Now, I actually remember seeing this movie in the theater. Do you, Brady? Um, not really. No. Okay, Chris, do you remember seeing? Yeah, it? Yeah, I remember. And I want to say real quick, I agree with you. It's probably not something that to be broken down minute by minute. Right. Yeah. But something that needs to be discussed. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think Ghostbusters. One thing that makes it made it such a great movie to follow minute by minute was that the screenplay is so tight. The uh, filming of the movie was so interesting with all the improv going on on the set there's a the the script has such a weird backstory to it uh and then this you know the special effects the uh post-production stuff really kind of put it over the top so it was a real fun one to break down minute by minute this one not so much for a number of reasons and i think my primary reason and don't get me wrong i do like this movie it was a favorite of mine when i was a kid i probably watched it more as a child than the original ghostbusters but uh it felt like I don't want to say a cash grab because I think there was definitely an audience. Uh, the audience was there for this movie when it came out, but it didn't feel like it had the level of love going into it that Ghostbusters did. Would you agree? Yeah, it was definitely forced. Um, it was a movie that, as a kid, I would watch it more. Right. But as I've gotten older, I'm you know there were bits and pieces of it that I like to talk about, bits and pieces of it that I think are funny, but it's not something that I want to. I'm going to sit and watch from beginning to end like I would. Whereas uh, the first one, but this one, I would look for certain parts that I it's, think that are funny. Yeah, right. it's so interesting because like it's got a lot of like shortcomings, but it's got all the elements of a successful sequel there. So where does it fall short? Uh, you know, uh, well, I want to say it looks like it, I, I didn't watch the movie in preparation for this. And I, I know you guys have seen it a lot, but I remember watching it pretty recently and it occurring while I was watching the movie, that this thing is almost a paint-by-numbers version of Ghostbusters mm-hmm. 1. That the script seems to be like they laid it down on top of the first script and almost said, like, copied it over and said, okay, at 15 minutes into the movie, this thing happens. We need to have this happen. At 30 minutes, this happens. You know, and some of that's just smart screenwriting because there is a formula to writing a screenplay of how to hold an audience's attention. You know, Mark Landry, our friend who has come on the show, has mentioned that, you know, like, by page 15, this needs to happen. By page 20, this needs to happen. But... Ghostbusters 2 seems almost like they took archetypes out of the first movie and then put them in this movie. Like, instead of having a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, they were going to have the Statue of Liberty as the big icon at the end. Instead of Gozer, they're going to have Vigo the Carpathian, you know? The, uh, the only thing that felt fresh and original in this movie, uh, to me, is really Janosch uh, as a yeah, character absolutely. that wasn't something that was carried over from the first movie. But I felt like, the, as filmmakers, they really didn't challenge themselves the same way that they did with the original Ghostbusters. I don't completely hold, them, uh, hold that against them because I don't think it does it to the point that I'm recognizing that like, oh my God, this is a mirror image of the first movie all the time. Uh, the Force Awakens is something else that does that. And I'm not really like recognizing it when I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is true. It is true that, like, let's say Winston came in like 30 minutes into the first one. And in this one, he's just very, he's not really that present until like that point. Right. Yeah. Um, Now that may also be because this story didn't, this screenplay didn't really require him to be in it at that moment. Uh, But I don't know, man, it's, it's almost like the studio said, okay, let's just play it safe. Like a lot could go wrong here. Let's just play it safe. And let's kind of mirror the first movie. Yeah. It's like they were, they, uh, they were doing a good job. It was going along, even though it was kind of similar, but then all of a sudden, the studio said, "Well, we got to have this done in a week." Yeah, and yeah, then they yeah, and then yeah. they hurried it up, and like the part with the mayor, like I don't mind uh, some of the other things that they copied because it's a little bit different. Like the whole idea of mood slime, yeah, I think yeah. that's a nice idea. It is, yeah. Uh, Janos is a nice idea. 
But the part that I think bothers me more than anything, the whole thing with the mayor and the mayor's assistant and yeah. having to do the same thing with that. Like the Walter that Peck thing. That is really... That, that, that fell down on that part. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's almost like if they had more time, okay, I almost feel like if they had more time, they could have done a little bit more to make it might not have been as good as the first one, but they could have done some things, put a few more heads together and come up with a little bit more smoother transition, a little bit different, and right. even maybe had the same outcome to where it could have been a little bit better. Yeah. Yep. It's the, the pre-production of this movie is a little bit weird because obviously Ghostbusters, huge hit. Right out the gate, the studio, Columbia, wants another one immediately. But because of other commitments that the actors had to movies, that had to make movies in that five-year period, it kind of got put on the back burner. Uh, Columbia has a change of power. Uh, their, their CEO, uh, the, the head of the studio, came in, a new guy, and said, you know what, I don't want to make Ghostbusters 2. So it just kind of like fell out of consciousness, right? Then he gets the boot. Somebody else comes in and says, our number one priority is to make Ghostbusters 2. Obviously, it made a lot of money for us before. We can make it for $30 million and, and make a huge profit on it. And it seemed like in that time period, they got ready to make one, maybe wrote some scripts, and then all of a sudden, there was nothing. And then, like you were saying, this like crunch period happened where they're like, no, we're making Ghostbusters 2. You guys all have contracts. And the funny part is that per their contract... Uh, I think everybody in the movie came back uh, for less money up front than they did for the first one, which is smart, especially when you're making a sequel, because sequels tend to make more money uh, to have back-end points in your uh, salary setup. So you're, you're as an actor, are going to make a lot of money. And Ghostbusters 2 made a lot of money. It made something like on a $30 million budget, 250 Yeah, 216 or 215 Yes, something yeah. Something like that. That's And especially in 1989 money, that's, mm-hmm. that's a big yeah. chunk of change. So uh, one of the reasons you probably didn't see... These guys in a lot of movies after Ghostbusters 2 or, you know, they're sparsely in movies was because they had so much residuals coming in from Ghostbusters 2. They didn't really have to do much. Yeah, for like a good 10 or more years, Bill Murray was just kind of in like Osmosis Jones and The yeah. Man Who Knew Too Little and things like that that were just kind of, you know. And the merchandise, books. I'm sure they had oh, deals yeah. with the merchandise and the yeah. amount of merchandise that came in yeah. and the things that spawned off of that. Was it a comic book and all kinds of know, stuff, different stuff that they were making money off of? Yeah. Now, speaking of uh, numbers, you have some information on box office and whatnot. Yeah, I was looking and, you know, we we were talking about, you know, it wasn't actually financially successful movie. The fact that it made $216 million (laughs) off of a $37 million budget. I thought it was interesting also that they made just as much money outside of America as they did inside of America. Yeah. And then uh, I read somewhere uh, fourth highest weekend of all time at the time. Yeah. Uh, were for its opening weekend in 1989, but you were saying also that night it finished eighth in 1989. It was a big it year. Was also yeah, a big year. Uh, Batman just you know trumped everything. You also had the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You had uh, all kinds of stuff. And it, okay, the two of you are probably uh, very knowledgeable on No Holds Barred. Didn't that also do pretty successful that year? Not that uh, I <laughs> way. Am I just completely making? I that remember. Up? I'm sure that the opening weekend it probably did probably. pretty well. <laughs> but anybody that would have seen it. If you weren't a big wrestling fan, if you weren't a big fan of Hulk Hogan, there is no reason in the world you would go see that movie. Only if you were. I went to see it just because of that. I was a big wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you were a big fan of bullshit, you might have been into the movie. You know, like I mean, it two or three times. But hey, you know the guy. What's the guy that played the villain? Tiny Zeus Lister. That's right. Yeah, uh, Yeah. played the mayor's, uh, and also plays. Oh no, kidding! uh, Is he in it? In Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, the mayor's assistant. Assistant. Oh yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, the head of the villain in. He's a villain in. 
No Holes Barred. And That's maybe, right. and then he's also, I think he's probably the only two movies <laughs> so, anybody can think of that he's been in. In No Holds Barred, it's funny because he's actually a stand-in for Ted Turner. Because No Holds Barred was written by Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon. They locked themselves in a uh, like a hotel room for a weekend. And just oh. like, the movie was written by the two of them and, uh, and maybe some other substances. I don't know. But uh, they cranked it out. But he's kind of a stand-in for Ted Turner. And the whole idea of the movie is Vince McMahon had always felt like Ted Turner had a personal grudge against him for some bad business deals from the 80s. So the idea of the movie was that he was trying to run Vince's nice little family company out of business with his huge wow. television conglomerate. But uh, aren't you friends with Tiny Lister, Brady? Haven't you I, had a run I, in with I him I worked before? on this low-budget movie that he was on. Did you really? Jesus. Yeah. You talk about just like... Oh, some Zeus. Old you know, Zeus, man. He was ready to leave. He was, <laughs> he was ready to go, and everybody who was working on the thing was far beneath him. And uh, it, it got pretty crazy. He was a terrible wrestler. Uh, he was yeah. a terrible interview as a wrestler. Uh-huh. All he would do is beat himself in the chest and say a few words. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was well, terrible. His, well, his, he played uh, to his strengths. Definitely. Skill as an actor didn't really go far beyond. Didn't you tell him that Luke Besson was making yeah, a sequel no, 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 with no, no. So he was just like a total dick to like everybody. And I went over to him and was just like, hey, you know what's, you know what's going on? Uh, you know, really enjoyed your work on like The Fifth Element. I wanted to say something that I'm sure no one else was going to say to him. And uh, he was like, oh, man, that's awesome to hear. He was really nice to me. He was like, I really enjoyed working with Luke Besson. And, man, Gary Oldman in The Professional. Just like, And at the time, I remember hearing that there was a, possibly going to be a sequel. I'm sure it was just fan speculation uh, with the Natalie Portman character. And he was like, oh, man, don't tell me that. Now I got to go you know, bang on Luke Besson's door and see if I can get in. And I was like, yeah, he'll answer. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, let's get back to Ghostbusters 2. No, I don't know. I think I want to talk a little bit more about yeah. No Holds Barred. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Yeah, yeah, Ghostbusters 2. So, uh, yeah, so one of the early ideas for this movie, apparently, you know, it ended up being this this movie about this slime, which we'll get into in a second because I agree that it's, it's kind of a cool concept. Uh, one of the early drafts for the movie kind of went back to this weird esoteric stuff that Dan Aykroyd was into. It was actually going to be Sigourney or Dana Barrett uh, kidnapped by Fairy. And taken to Ireland, where there's this like underground civilization of fairies. And I know that sounds a little weird, but uh, fairies before aliens were abducting people in kind of uh, the public consciousness, like fairies were a big thing. Like from the medieval period up into Victorian times, that was kind of the the supernatural occurrence that everybody would talk about. So the idea for the movie is that she was going to be taken away, so the Ghostbusters would have to go to Ireland because one of the things he and Ivor Reitman said was we got to get the Ghostbusters out of New York City, which uh, is a Good idea to a degree, but I don't know that it's Ghostbusters is such a New York movie. You yeah. know, it's yeah. got so much to do with New York. I'm, I think modern New York is not as uh, interesting as a place as 1970s, 1980s New York was because it was crime filled, it was mm-hmm. dirty. Yeah. Uh, New Put York now, yeah, is is a much safer place to be. Uh, and also, I, you know more about it now because of it's not as exotic YouTube and TV. And, exactly. And, yeah, and unfortunately, nine eleven and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's more accessible to everybody, whereas you know, for somebody that lived down south in the seventies and eighties, yeah, it might it not have been this mythic as place. known. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But now it's part of the public consciousness. But right. uh, uh, yeah, so that was one of the early ideas. Of course, it was scrapped uh, because they came up with this villain who was kind of the. Uh, gozer for this movie, Vigo the Carpathian, which was kind of a, a surrogate for uh, Vlad the Impaler, who we all know as Count Dracula. So they wanted to have kind of this big, iconic bad guy who was going to be a presence in the movie, unlike Gozer was in Ghostbusters. You heard the name Gozer, you knew that Gozer was something, but you didn't know exactly what it was. Vigo shows up and he's all over this movie. He's a chatty yeah. Cathy, he won't shut up. But we were just talking a second ago about the emotion slime, which apparently... 
Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd wanted to kind of make a social message with this movie. So their idea was that, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there was some reason where everybody was forced to be nice to each other in the meanest city in America? Which is a pretty cool idea. I yeah. agree. And yeah, you know, that's interesting coming from Ivan Reitman, the guy who wanted to put a social message in the first one with uh, the EPA and yeah, stuff. His libertarian yeah. ideas. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, it 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 is, and I think it was a it was a cool idea. And then, of course, we know from the Ghostbusters video game, the pink slime, which isn't really explained in Ghostbusters Two, it was actually the Evo Shandor cult was going to use that pink slime to summon Gozer into the world. So, the, the do you know about this this story? I know about Evo Shandor, but I don't know about the <laughs> pink slime that you're about to say, which so, I'm very interested in. In the Ghostbusters video game, which was written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, it was supposed to tie up Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2 and then kind of prevent its own, uh, present its own story. Um, in that movie, the or excuse me, in that movie, that, that story of that game, uh, the cult of Gozer, led by Evo Shandor, summons a slore. Mm-hmm. Into our plane of existence, and they a large they, and moving slow. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> and they chain it up, and they basically bleed it, and they take all the blood, and the blood is what's turned into the pink slime, which was going to uh, use as a magnifier for emotion, which you know we see in this movie. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think it's a really cool idea. I like the scene where they get covered in the slime, and they're about to kill each other. Yes, you know, it's it's amplifying all of their bad emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's you know, hearing that idea, someone might say like, that is the dumbest thing. How are they ever going to make it work? And they make it work. Yeah, the idea that everyone's got to be nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, but I, I think it's one of the few things in this movie that works really well. Uh, I like that idea that they were going forward with. Yeah. So in terms of like making a sequel, I think uh, if you really want it to appeal to people, uh, especially people who are coming from someone they loved so much, you gotta um, bring back things that they did like about it. And Ghostbusters had so many likable characters; they're bringing back everybody, Louis, right. Janine, and they're building on those characters as well. Yeah. One thing I'm glad they didn't get rid of was the uh, Dana and Peter relationship. They didn't retract that. Whereas some sequels, like let's say Batman movies or something like that, the, the girlfriend, the love interest, will always kind of disappear. And uh, this, they stayed consistent Karate with kid, it. Kid, I think they did one of them. <laughs> yeah, sure, that would too. Yeah. <laughs> Such bullshit. <laughs> but um, so I like the fact that they uh, they didn't go cheap on that, and they they brought back, like I said, Lewis, and just really built up his character. Yeah, and and, and Janine as well. Janine mm-hmm. in the uh, Ghostbusters two was definitely modeled after Janine from the cartoon. I think that was one of the, well, her and Slimer, I think, are two of the things that were definitely molded after what was popular because you know Ghostbusters came out, then the cartoon was like a huge hit. Which I think I read a quote somewhere that they were actually making this movie for the second generation of Ghostbusters fans who their older siblings would have been the ones who had the toys. So these mm-hmm. are the younger kids that are playing with this stuff. And, you know, that's a smart idea is get yeah. every generation kind of like make this version for them so you can have a consumer base, you know. I think y'all yeah. remember, I mean, even the 25 cent machines where you could put the money in and get the slime in the little container. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. 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 Different colors of it. Yeah. I mean, how cool was that? 1989 stuff? was pink, uh, was pink slime. Peak slime. Uh, you know, <laughs> It was all over Love shows like stuff. you can't do that on television. You know, uh, every toy line seemed to have their own like slime pit where yeah. you could trap the hero and then slime them. I think Ghostbusters even had their own version of that. But uh, slime was huge back in the day. If you're a younger person, a millennial listening to this, I, I can't overstate how slime was yeah, everywhere. Yeah, like and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah like you said, um, Double Dare. Double Dare. Everybody's yeah. getting slimed. Oh, what, what the hell was that? Where did slime go? I hmm? think slime. This slime stuff was cheap to make. I think is really there. Like yeah. some guy like stumbled upon like some chemistry formulas. Like I can mm-hmm. make this stuff for like two thousand gallons of it for. 
fifteen cents, and kids love gross stuff. Yeah. How are we going to you know market you know, this to them? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, I always wondered growing up uh, and watching this movie, why does the movie start out with them in biz- uh, out of business or in very 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 low? Bi- no, they're completely out of business. They yeah, because they killed. Yeah, because they say there's the no more ghosts. There's no yeah, more ghosts. It's, yeah. it's a story that's it's very interesting because we see at the end of the first movie like everything's great. Yeah. You know, they've won. But then, uh, I think I talked about when I was here before, that story of, you know, not everybody might have seen what they did or knows right. the, yeah. uh, how big of what they did for the city. Like the kids yeah. so, uh, at the birthday party. Not everybody knows that they were fighting that ghost. They just see things falling from the top of a building. They don't yeah, get yeah. it. So... You could see how if they didn't understand everything that was going on, how people might might get sued. Think about all the cars that were crushed, the church that was damaged, right, right. all these things that happened. Um, you know, and it's just their word of, "Hey, we've defeated this ghost." Unless yeah. you were up there and you saw it, you know that might be yeah. hard to believe, especially in that time. Any time. This kind of answers a question for me then, and that is uh, when they're talking to the mayor later in the movie, and he's just like totally unappreciative of everything, and they're talking about the bill that he sent them and all this. And I've always been like, well, they had such a good relationship at the end of the first movie, it seems, like in the mayor's office. Uh, we don't know. Where did that really, fall what apart? What the relationship, all it is is, a, what do you need from me? And they go, That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's whatever true. bad was happening stopped. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, how do they know that it wasn't the light show? How's it, how do they right. know yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So this answers that question. Because the, the only thing tangible hat that we have at the end of that first movie is all the damage. Yes, mm-hmm. right, right. If right, you think yeah. about it, the only thing tangible is all the damage that was that was caused right and a few bad things that maybe were happening stop happening but how do we know we walter beck could have been right the whole time you know that these guys just putting on a light show they got a big payday the mayor gave them what they wanted and and all they see is tons of damage yeah and somebody's got to be responsible for that damage and they're not going to sue the state puff marshmallow man who probably only maybe only some people saw i don't know if the news cameras caught it you know (laughs) well no i don't I, i mean if the news cameras caught it i think there would probably be maybe some people there would be footage people would believe in it but what all we had was a few hundred people to visually right. identify it. In the late 90s, there was a phenomenon called the Phoenix Lights. Have you guys ever heard of that? No. Yeah. Uh, you, you have. So uh, one night above Phoenix, uh, this form uh, formed in the sky yeah. out of lights. It was like a giant triangle. In Los Angeles, too. They could see it in Los Angeles yeah. also. Uh, and then well, this exactly was it's, it was documented, but not very well uh, on video because it's just some lights in the sky. If we sh- if we watch videotape, we'd be like, well, that's kind of weird. They do form a yeah, pattern. Five or six lights. But it was like the number of people who I witnessed it were in the thousands, right. right? So something like this, imagine it's just a fraction of that. Those people say, you know, coming out saying like, I don't have, this is 1984. I don't have a cell phone. I don't have any footage of it. But believe me, a giant marshmallow man came through here and destroyed everything. Well, you know, the next day you might hear that, you know, some people claim it was a marshmallow man. There was definitely something that happened, but, uh, way more people than that have claimed to see paranormal and yes, ghosts yeah. and still you have, it's never come out that, Hey, they're ghosts. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, so it's uh, show me and I'll believe it, but you know, it was definitely even more of a phenomenon in the eighties. So that is why they were out of business at that point, Brady, to answer your question and probably yeah. why, they all chose to go different routes. It seems like just Winston and Ray are really the only two guys who are still holding down the fort at that point, right? Yeah. yeah Ray's got Ray's a cult. Yeah, he does. Um, yes. And then you have uh, Peter's got the TV show. Yeah, <laughs> World of the Psychic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then um, Egon's. A- yeah, Egon's uh, working at uh, Columbia University. Yeah, that's where he is. Columbia like that. and University they never doing on- experiments. Yeah. 
They never uh, touch on what Winston's doing, right? Or just the birthday party. You thing. know, they don't really pre- treat Winston, Winston with any respect at all that. in this movie. But I mean, he comes back. You know, he's he's a big character. He's got a couple of moments that are, you know where the lights on him and everything. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, he was he was nah. Yeah, he's just kind of in, in, on the back burner for this movie, but especially there at the beginning, we don't really understand like who's paying for the Ghostbuster, the firehouse, the hook and ladder number eight at this point. You yeah. know, it's there's a lot of questions about what and like exactly why is Janine still working there? If right? Out yeah. Of business. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they made so much money off the Stay Puff thing that she's just living the life, you know, at thirty k a year and happy to put yeah. her feet up and not do anything. I don't know. But Lewis is their lawyer and I think accountant at this point too. So five years after the fact, I think maybe they could have made enough money to still be in business. You know, with the it occasional holding it together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um. I love at the beginning of this movie that they are split up and that they've all gone in different directions and it's not really panning out for anybody. I think that's a great place mm-hmm. as opposed to them being like the best Ghostbusters in the business and they have like, you know, new equipment and they're on top of their game. I think it's so much more interesting that yeah. they're scattered. They got to get the team back together, you know, for one more for one and more I'll time. I'll tell you what, they do do a good job of setting the theme of the anger in New York City yeah. uh, in the beginning. Because remember with Dana, she has the baby carriage and the groceries. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can hear all the yelling of the city. Yeah. And then uh, the landlord or whatever is on the phone yelling. And then she asks him to help. You know, and that's that, it's a nice way to start up foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think they do a good job of that. Yeah. Know, of getting it all started. This movie's uh, well. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I agree. They, the 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 sound design almost. Right. You know, if you're somebody from some pastoral like small town like Baton Rouge, like we're all from, you know, we, uh, loud sounds like loud cars screaming, mm-hmm. people yelling at each other. Even though that's just kind of how they live their life, that to us is a very, is a symbol of like nobody's getting along here. Yeah. Right? Immediately as we watch it, we're 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 like to just. Uh, jump on what you're saying there it's uh it's immediately presented as like this is not a friendly place yeah everybody's at each other's throats cl- cloud of animosity that's just everywhere and you know, yeah. to the point that you don't even it's it's second nature and might i add to the setting of this movie it takes place between christmas and new year's eve i believe so you're at a time when we're all supposed to be coming together you know but as is the case most of the time there's a lot of stress added around the holiday right. yeah so i mean christmas you're supposed to be there with your family and you end up just getting in a fight over politics it's a cool idea that they they set it in that time yeah. Um, so speaking of World of the Psychic, there's a pretty cool cameo right here, and it's Chloe Webb. Nancy Spungen herself from Sid and Nancy is playing the woman who was date raped and yeah. thinks that it was like an alien abduction. <laughs> yeah. It was a ray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's when he told me the end of the world would be on February 14th. Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Valentine's yeah. Day. But, um, yeah, so I don't know, man. There's, uh, there's all of that. But uh, like you said, Janine is definitely influenced from the cartoon. And there's a couple other references to the cartoon as well. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously they're not coming to mind right now. But it's cool that they uh, address the cartoon in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, Slimer is definitely uh, influenced by the cartoon. The, the Slimer in this movie is much more of a... He's actually like part of the Ghostbusters. Right, he's not... And uh, that's that was what was so interesting in watching the cartoon and then going to Ghostbusters two, seeing how Slimer's not the bad guy anymore. Yeah, yeah, he's just part of the team. Interesting. Yeah, it was really funny. Um, one of the things, one of the things that I do miss from Ghostbusters one is the score. Uh, they had Randy Edelman score this movie, and in some places, it's just so cheap, and it sounds like it was done on this little like keyboard or something. And then yeah. in a lot of places, just just it's too grand. Um, I don't know. It's just a, it has a little bit too epic of a sound, and it's just kind of out of place. It always takes me out of the movie. And I yeah. love the classic Ghostbusters theme, and, and mm-hmm. we were talking earlier. I think that's the only the only time you hear it is right in the beginning. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. And that's just to let you know that's what this is. But after yeah, that, yeah. you know, but if you think about it, we're not going to make money with the same soundtrack. Right. Yeah. you got to refresh what, the line. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, whether you like it or not, that was their goal. Hey, we've got to sell a new soundtrack. Yeah. So what do we think of Bobby Brown's On Our Own? Man, it's a pretty kick-ass song, but overplayed like nobody's business. In this yeah. movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. they were pushing a little hard to have another, uh, like, you know, Ray Parker Jr. song, and it just it wasn't going to happen. wasn't going to happen. Yeah, Bobby Brown yeah. is no Ray Parker Jr., and I'm sorry to say that as a huge <laughs> New Edition fan. But uh, I will say that I agree with you. I think Elmer Bernstein's score from the first movie is one of the standout things. The yeah. banana, banana, you know, it's Dana's very unconventional. Theme. Dana's theme. And you, yeah. just, you don't mm-hmm. have those in this. In and his weird movie. experimentation, too, like using a theremin, uh, you know, as uh, kind of that old sci-fi sound that gives the movie this eerie kind of feeling is just, mm-hmm. it's not present in this. And, uh, I, I wish that they could have brought Bernstein back for this. I honestly don't know if he was alive when this came out or, or have someone kind of mimic what he did in the first one, but, uh, it just, yeah, it wasn't working for him. And I give it to him for not just copying it, um, and doing something new, but it just, it's, I don't know. It always takes me out of but it. But it's like one of those things, even as a kid, you know, I'm not going to think about a soundtrack quite as much maybe as I right. am. That's true, yeah. yeah. But even I even think as an 11-year-old kid watching this it like I knew it. Yeah. I knew that it yeah. wasn't the it's, same. It's yeah. part of the whole. You know, yeah. e- even though it's not something you might focus on, you find yourself singing it in your head when you're walking around and I couldn't begin to hum a bar of music from this yeah. movie and I don't want to no no disrespect to the guy who scored it, but you know, Elmer Bernstein's lightning in a bottle. Let me let great. me let me make that clear too. I do think it is a good score. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it it just is weird in this movie. It's just kind of out of place in this movie. Well, let's talk about something that I I love in this movie and I think we're all going to be in agreement here. Uh Peter McNichol yeah. As Janosch in yes. this movie yep. was fantastic. Do you think he's one of the just brightest moments in all of Ghostbusters? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. What do you think? Yeah, he, he's great. And I, any time that years later I can still get a smile thinking about the quotes of him amongst yeah. my friends, I think that's kind of a great way of, you know, if he's that memorable to where to this day I might still think of him yeah yeah you know uh, think of some of his quotes and put a smile on my face and he's he's uh yeah. he's definitely a, a great great character a uh, great performance in the sense that he brings two emotions out of me when i watch it and one is at the end well i love you too is just such a sweet moment yeah but earlier and on a couple of patreon episodes ago uh we talked about like the scariest moments or scariest villains and my right. number one is one of the scariest moments i've ever seen in a movie and that's when he shows up to dana's apartment during the blackout to abduct the baby and probably do whatever the hell he's going to do to Dana. And he's being, he's playing it as so like friendly and sweet and casual and everything. And if you watch this movie out and take away the paranormal element, it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Well, absolutely the, the terrifying. The creepiest line is when he says, do you want me to come in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oh, that's the whole one thing. of those lines that we, we still talk about today. Yeah. 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 It's very eerie the way that he plays yeah. it. And he, you know, he's, he, walks the line so much from being hilarious like little improv moments like where he's walking along and someone's painting he's like i just want you to know what you're doing here's very bad now, you know? chris you might know you might be able to verify this was that accent something he just made up like right as they were going to get started oh that's not his accent no I've, no no. i know that's not his real accent but like wasn't that just something yeah, that he I, I think it was like a pan-european type thing that he was going for because they were trying to figure out like where Janosch would be from and he just started w- working on weird different accents yeah. and adding things i want to say his involvement in this movie he didn't even set out to he was moving back to New York 
and he wanted to be in something, and they were shooting mm-hmm. a lot of it in New York at the time, so he tried out for it, and they were like, hey, this is probably a pretty good fit for you, and then he and Ivan Reitman were kind of toying around, and eventually he just came up with this character, Janosch, and they even reference it in the movie, when Peter asks him, Janosch, where are you from? And he's like, Zappa Vest Side. It's yeah. like, no, okay. Well, I'll yeah. tell you how good of an actor he was in that movie, mm-hmm. is years later seeing him in another movie, and being weirded out when he talked in a normal yeah. voice. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is his regular voice. It's, That's how good of an actor. Yeah. And it's a shame that you don't see him that much anymore. Uh, he used to be in pop-up and stuff all the time. Uh, and, he was uh, a regular in Ally McBeal, which was a huge was show. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, one of those just character actors who always turns in, like, uh, 100%. Um, he does not like to talk about Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. He's, he's known I for I did not just, know that. Why yeah, is that? I, so, we... Did an episode with uh, Christopher Stewart, who is a guy who you might know runs uh, Proton Charging, uh, which is a Ghostbusters fan site. Mm. And he has a podcast called The Interdimensional Cross Rip. And the guy is a walking Ghostbusters encyclopedia. Probably knows more about it than just about anybody else. But he has said that Rick Moranis doesn't really like to do much with Ghostbusters, but he appreciates it for what it was. Apparently, for some reason, and no one can put their finger on, Peter McNichol refuses to talk about it at all. It, it is apparently, if you see him on the street and you bring up, you're talking to him. Do you think it's because it it hurt, it typecast him? It, it prevented him from other roles or bigger roles because they still see him as frail Janos? Could have been. It or evil been. Janos or he, creepy Janos? You know, and before this, he had a variety of roles that he did. Dragon Slayer, I think, was right before this, which is a really cool dragon, like, you know, fantasy movie. And, you know, uh, he, he's great in that. He kind of is a little bit of an action star. Then he does this, knocks it out of the park. And I think, yeah, it might have been a detriment to his career for a while. No, I think there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's weird. One of these things, too, that Ghostbusters 2 was not well-received. People don't talk about it uh, with the same uh, zest that they do the you know, the first Ghostbusters. And sometimes as an actor in a movie like that, you take that personally because of the amount oh, of yeah. Uh, yeah. time and, and hard work. You, I mean, but, like, making a movie, it sucks a lot of times. It's a lot of hard work, hours on set. And when you hear people come back and say, like, oh, I didn't like that movie, you know, it's it's enough to almost to say like, well, then why would I try to you know engage? Because if I see him anywhere, I see Yana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor Boha. That's what I see. Well, I see him. Here's a little uh, piece of trivia. Did you guys know that halfway through this movie, during one of the montages, is the first moment in all of Ghostbusters you hear the word proton pack used? It was nowhere in the first movie. Uh, not in the cartoons up to this point, I believe. And no, it was uh, I didn't Bobby know that. Brown who says it, isn't it? Yeah. Or yeah. He, yeah. He's like, uh, yeah. I think he it's was him. like, can I get a proton pack for my little brother? And yeah. Egon says something like, it's, it's not, not a toy. toy. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a toy. toy. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't realize that was the first time that uh, it had been said because if I'm we not all. Mistaken, yeah. I, you hear positron collider. Yeah. And uh-huh. uh, don't slime a guy with a positron collider. That's yeah. in the first one. You know. <laughs> yeah. There are a couple things that are referenced, like just, it's the trap, you know, this is yeah. our, you know, I think whenever they turn on their wands in Ghostbusters 1, they they call it something weird, something else, I, I can't remember right right now, but uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't know that, Brady, that's very interesting. There's there's something that, uh, and I, I don't know if you had any more to add on it, but there's something, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you were talking earlier about, you were talking earlier about uh, Dana's relationship with Peter, mm-hmm. and I think... There's interesting. There's Dana's relationship with Peter. There's Janine and Lewis. Yeah. Right? But then there's also uh, uh, Egon and his kind of attraction to the slime to Dana. Okay. Oh, about, yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. About, okay. What really? Happens? I don't remember that. Okay. After you have the incident with uh, the baby carriage. Yeah. Then she goes to see Egon at Columbia University, mm-hmm. and Egon is doing a test 
with a family and yeah. changing the heat in the room and telling them that they're there for counseling. And he keeps incre- and he keeps yeah. telling them that uh, they <laughs> he keeps telling them that they have to wait longer and longer, and he's gradually increasing the temperature in the room. Yeah. And all of this is happening while Dana is explaining to uh, Egon what happened with the baby carriage. Of course, in the other scene, the other room, so you have this the couple that's waiting for marriage counseling. In the other room, you have a child that they're bringing in. I don't know if it was teddy bears or little cats or dogs or puppies. Puppy or, or something. Yeah, and <laughs> you have Dana goes talk to Egon, and then right, and he says, she says, don't tell Peter about this. He wants to bring Ray in on it. And he, she says, don't, please don't bring Peter in on it because, you know, they ended not very yeah. well before she got married and then essentially got divorced. And uh, he's like, oh, no, no, I won't do that. And then she gives him either a little kiss or a hug, and he gets this, like, <laughs> like goofy, uh-huh. you know. Just like, being a nerd, like, n- he doesn't you know, get Weird-looking face because he could tell he maybe has a little bit of a crush on Dane right. or has never had any type of phys- physical uh, love shown to him. I would think that's probably him. what it is, yeah. Because remember, his parents never did anything for him when he, he got it got like half of a slinky and he straightened it, straightened it out. Yeah. So right after that happens, he says, let's, let's see what happens when they take away the puppy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my so God. That's, that's kind of interesting that, little yeah. relationship there. And then the other one, of course, uh, the, uh, the Dana, Peter, how they start yeah. getting back. Uh, yeah. I actually enjoyed what they did with that how they had them they broken up and then you know, they get back together over the course of the movie and everything. Some would call it pandering, but you know what I call it? Ghostbusters. It's a kid's com- family comedy, whatever. But every once in a while, I think they'll it works throw something in real life in there that, mm-hmm, yeah. that keeps the adults that brought the kids to the movie interested. Well, yeah, you true. know, uh, sure. part of the arc of Peter Venkman in this movie, too, is to further prove his adulthood to Dana Barrett by being kind of a father surrogate for uh, the baby, Oscar. Yeah. You know, so he's kind of like... Here's how I'm going to take care of this baby. You know, I'm, I'm going to be like been your dad. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I should have the been your dad. That he makes. But uh, it's funny that you say that about Egon and Dana because one of the couples that we do have in this movie are uh, Louis Tully and Janine Melnitz, yes. uh, and they have a really funny kind of relationship in this movie. But in the previous movie, in Ghostbusters, there's actually a scene that was deleted from the movie where Janine gives Egon a lucky uh, coin, coin that yeah. she has. It's like a lucky charm. And then he tells her, like, I might not be coming back with this. And then, of course, we see at the end of Ghostbusters, like, she runs up to him and gives him a big hug during the credit sequence. And it looks like they kind of decided that that was not the way to go with Egon. Right. Like you were saying, like, an emotionally stunted person is probably how he should be. But uh, Janine is in uh, full-blown, like, horn dog version Mm -hmm. in this movie. Like, constantly seducing. She's wearing, like, you know... It looks like uh, uh, Annie Potts had been working out during this period. She's always wearing, like, you know, tight clothing and stuff like that. And she's just full-on predator on Lewis whenever they're babysitting Oscar, uh, which was always a scene I enjoyed uh, as, mm-hmm. as a young man. But, um, All right. yeah, yeah, no. Got a thing for redheads because of Janine. But anyway, getting back to the point, uh, do you think they played that game of Super Mario Brothers? Well, his pants or wasn't boggle. done, so. Yeah. <laughs> or what? Boggle or Super Boggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's talk about another character in the movie here uh, that is, I don't know, varying degrees of success, uh, Vigo the Carpathian. Yeah. What, what, what is y'all's take on Vigo? You know, um, for a long time I always thought, well, he only shows up at the end and it's not for very long. Well, that's the same with Gozer. And Vigo is like very consistently seen throughout the movie and the painting and stuff like that. Right. So I'm wrong in that. He is in this movie more than, let's say, Gozer was in the, uh, in the original. Um, I don't, yeah, it's, it's cool. He's a cool character with a cool backstory and everything. Max von Sydow's voice is very effective. Uh, you know, 
Yeah, uh, it works for me. What about I you? like his backstory. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's funny and creepy too. You know, yeah, uh, the scourge of Carpathia. Yeah, scourge, yeah. yeah, I mean that's uh, death is but a door, time is but a window. I'll be back, and he said that before his head died. Yeah, yeah, it's you like know? a stab, drown, shot, quarter. Yeah, so it's based a little drawn. bit off Dracula, a little bit off of. Um, Oh, the what's, Russian what's the, yeah. czar. There used to be a bar named after him. Rasputin. 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 Yeah. So he's a little bit Rasputin, a little bit, uh, he's kind of this, uh, you know, Eastern European guy that we're a little, uh, you know, scared of here in America. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, I, I would agree with you. I think he's got a presence on screen, but I think we did see a little bit too much of him in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that maybe if Janosch had just been listening to the painting and we didn't actually have him seeing. Like his I, head show up and stuff. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Like, yeah. I like the part where the head, the face comes out of the painting and looks at yes. it, you know mm-hmm. yeah uh, when the eyes kind of light up when ray's looking yeah. at it but i felt that maybe for the big reveal of him stepping out of the painting if we, that was the only time we actually saw him in the movie that would have been more effective right. something interesting on that note uh they in some cases actually had the actor uh literally painted to look like he was in the painting standing in front of the backdrop the canvas right. and the camera would be positioned uh so that you thought you were looking at the painting but it's just 3d enough and his facial expressions might be moving so slightly that you think you're looking at an act, like something moving in the painting. It's a really cool effect, I think. And I'd never noticed that until I saw like some behind the scenes pictures of it a few years ago. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's the the painting's cool. I I like the the whole uh, when the when his face comes out. But, yeah, uh, and I think it's it's you talk about it's a little creepy when at the end he's grabbing the baby and you can see him kind mm-hmm. of like that. Uh, you know, hologram type yeah. Uh, figure, yeah. you know, whatever it's called. He's got like tracers or something yeah, on him when he's walking around, right? Yeah, to describe that. So uh, that guy who played Vigo is dead now, and by all measures, it sounds like he was a real piece of work. Uh, his name was Norbert Group, and I think Deadspin did an article on him back uh, last year, actually, last October, just about how awful of a human being he was. He was a son of a Nazi, uh, and then also uh, was possibly his niece's father, uh, by way of rape. So he was just a real piece of dirt who finally died of prostate cancer not that long ago. But wow. uh, I would say look up this article on Deadspin. It's just basically a story about just how he was a guy, kind of a guy who liked to get into people's heads and aggravate them. He's actually a former professional wrestler, uh, believe it or not, and a boxer, yeah. and just uh, sounds like nobody who ever met him had a nice thing to say about him. I wonder how guy. he got cast in this movie, because he had done some other acting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And go huh. look at the YouTube video of his real voice. I was about to say, so we watched that right before we started recording this. You you were like, have you ever heard his voice and then played it for us? And it was it was kind it's of... not uh, very intimidating. It was I mean, no Max like von Sydow. Like, yeah. 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 Well, um, one of the uh, problems I have with the movie is that it lasts too long in certain locations. Um, like, for instance, they're in the courtroom just entirely too long. And Dana's apartment, too damn long. They're in this uh, abandoned subway, too long. And that just, uh, I think, hurts an audience. Uh, it hurts doesn't a move the way Yeah, should. exactly. Yeah. Pacing now, is an issue with this movie, this for sure. This is already an incredibly long movie. And the amount of deleted material they had in it would have made it just so much longer. Now, we went over a lot of deleted scenes that you can find on... YouTube, one of them is a subplot involving Lewis always trying to uh, capture Slimer in the firehouse. Um, there's one of Ray who is possessed that someone has actually uh, gone and taken like, it looks like comic book strips and then clips from other movies and kind of pieced it together to tell right. that little story. Um, but in the Ghostbusters Ultimate Visual History book that we did a review on in a previous uh, Patreon episode, um, it goes into great detail about other deleted scenes I had never heard of. Uh, one of them involves Eugene Levy, who was playing Lewis's brother, I believe. Lewis's cousin. Lewis's cousin. And I'd never heard of that. Now, Eugene Levy's like a pretty big-name actor. Uh, so the fact that I had never heard about that is is interesting. But um, even more stuff. 
Yeah, so Eugene Levy played a character named, and apologize, I'm actually looking this up as we're talking about it right now. Uh, he was a character named... Sherm. S-H-E-R-M. Sherm, Lewis Tully's cousin. And the idea was there was a deleted scene where he actually breaks the Ghostbusters out of the psychiatric ward that the mayor's aide puts them into. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a pretty significant scene, but like you were saying... This movie, it already crawls by. Imagine putting in like four or five more little like gag scenes that had to be cut. And it's a real shame too because Eugene Levy, you know, he's all he's a Second City guy. You know, part of that same uh, comedy troupe that uh, Rick Moranis came up through and, yeah. and Dan Aykroyd. So it's he a real shame. He would have existed really well in, in these movies. Yes, he would have. Yeah, yeah. And it's a real shame that we didn't get uh, the Ghostbusters three. You know, in the early nineties that we kind of all hoped mm-hmm. for because I could see him as a person who would you know yeah. be playing part of it. So. so I was talking about the uh, subway abandoned subway uh, tracks earlier. Yeah. Um, I think that this movie is actually a little too scary for what it needs to be in some really? cases. And there's one of the scarier moments I've ever seen in a movie is when. They're calling out their names and they're hearing uh, yep. the the echoes coming back. And they then Winston does it, one. yeah. And then he uh, he doesn't hear one, um, which is just so eerie. And then of course a few seconds later his name comes back. And but what I, th- I think is actually scarier than that is the fact mm-hmm. that no echo comes back. And right. Yeah. The camera, no creepy music, no score, anything. We're just looking into the void. Nothing comes back. That yeah. is so. And creepy. then you see all those skeletons those heads, or yeah. those heads, which is kind of like totally. Out of place. Yeah, it's out of place. Yeah, it really and is. And they're on it's like jarring. It's jarring. I just remember seeing that. That scared mm-hmm. the heck out of me mm-hmm. when yeah. I had seen that the first time. And that's like, I don't even know if that was necessary. I don't. But, you know, uh, yeah. Hey, we're talking about it. Maybe it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's still very yeah, eerie but, to this day. You know, and here we are, what, all in our 30s, grown men talking about how this kind of stuff scared us. And uh, it's still eerie. Yeah, I mean, we all would have been about, I don't know, four or five, maybe. Maybe 11. Maybe 11 when this movie came out. And, uh, <laughs> And it was uh, scarier then for us. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, creepy. I thought that was a, fun, another, a funny scene in the movie was when they went to see, uh, Peter goes to see Ray, uh, at, uh, and Ray and Egon are working at Ray's mm-hmm. Occult trying to mm-hmm. look up stuff that, because they're working on stuff for Dana. And him getting the information out of Peter, getting the information out of Ray that it was Dana that they were working for. Yeah, yeah he kind of has to hook him by the nose yeah, or something like that's that. That's for the ear. Yeah, yeah. It's like I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> that's some good character interaction. But that, that was pretty. I thought that it was that was a, a pretty cool scene. Another creepy scene. Uh, just just quick impressions. Uh, when the they kidnap the baby with Janusz yeah. coming with the eyes and the long mm-hmm. arm come and take the baby. That's pretty creepy. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. where Janusz is the nanny. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's a that scene, I never put two and two together that that was Peter McNichol playing the nanny. Until, Not in the beginning. It took me a while to yeah, do Yeah, even though um, uh, Sigourney Weaver is saying, like, oh, no, it was Janusz. It was him. Like, mm-hmm. I, it still looks... Not it doesn't look like him, you know, as the character. And then mm-hmm. also the tub when it tries to reach out. Yeah, that's kind of creepy. That's a cool yeah. effect too. Yeah. When when it goes from water to slime coming out of the on mm-hmm. in the tub, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, but it was also creepy when that tub uh, reached out. Yeah, you know, and there's something I consistently go back to about the first one, and I think that uh, at its core, that movie's all about New York. Um, this movie really just drives that forward with the end. I believe it's over the credits. They have like a banner or something that says like National or uh, Ghostbusters Day or something like that. Yeah. Is, am I right in that? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. And then it's the a parade whole, or something? Um, it's like a... Uh, I, I'm really not sure. It's some kind of... Um, 
I'll have to go look it up, but it, I believe it plays over the end credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should know this, but um, the whole thing with the Statue of Liberty and all of that. Yeah, just, I want to talk about that. Yeah, what, go ahead. What did y'all think about the end of that? Because the whole, I have mixed feelings about that. You know, about they're playing this music and, and they yeah. have the slime and they have a Nintendo controller. It's like some of it's cool, but some of it's... A little pandering. Yeah, it's, it's so cheesy. And, and I'm telling you, the cheesiest thing is after they... They send Vigo back in the painting, and all of a sudden they're they're in the painting with some kind of yeah, that's yeah, a little yeah. strange. He's one of the fettuccines. That yeah. was a little bit much. That was a little me. much. I, I thought that was kind of funny. The the Statue of Liberty. There, there's a scene where they're trying to crack the pink slime shell on the museum, and mm-hmm. it's not working. Mm-hmm. And then they give up for a second, and they're standing around the Ecto One. They're saying like, you know, we, we need something to, that inspires people. Right. They see the license plate, and everybody's kind of like, you know, something yeah. something yeah. that speaks to America or whatever. Um, and then they get the Statue of Liberty, but then. Yeah, I didn't really feel it when it shows up, you know, like... Yeah. How do you get to Ellis Island? Uh, by boat? Yeah. So the Ghostbusters had to take the Ecto-1 there, get on a ferry, and travel over to the... I mean, I'm assuming that the mayor probably got them a helicopter or something, I don't know. But but then, you know, it's funny because then she does walk across... The, uh, the thing, you know, yeah. and Peter says, it's okay, she's a harbor chick, and I don't know what that means. Make but make Nikes <laughs> her size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see how somebody could see that as pandering and kind of like just getting the, the audience, the well, movie yeah, goers it's, like it's the jazzed fi- up and It's everything. the fill-in-the-blank aspect of this movie that I didn't appreciate. Like, you know, there's a scene where uh, the Titanic comes back and all the ghosts are breaking out, and there's a shot of like this like wasp ghost that comes out of a movie theater, mm-hmm. and it looks almost exactly like the subway, subway ghost. ghost that comes out. I think there are some cool gags. I like the jogger. That they mm-hmm. trap at one point. I thought that was pretty cool. I like it when the lady's uh, mink coat comes alive. Yep. Uh, that was turnabout as fair play for wearing fur. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that um, it, it just gets back in the whole aspect. It's like, well, we need a Stay puff analog. What are we going to do? Okay, it's let's... inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. It's, like yeah, it's it, got it, very good parts and, and very let down parts. And it, mm-hmm. it, you know, overall, it looked like a hastily forced production I right. think that had great actors and actresses in it. Mm-hmm. That uh, I think I was reading somewhere where if. Uh, if it hadn't had those actors and actresses in it, mm-hmm. it really would have been a yeah. letdown. But the, oh yeah, but the yeah. fact that they had them in it, it made it you know a lot better than it would have softened the blow a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's hard to put your finger on where this movie does fall off, and it does fall off. Um, and I think it's like you're saying that inconsistency might be it. It's just it's the flow of the movie feels a little strange. There's certain subplots that just feel a little out of place. And I think if they had trimmed a lot from this movie, and it seems like they already trimmed a lot from this movie, that it might have flowed a little bit better. It might have just given come them another across. year. To, to, sure, know, yeah, maybe in the writing uh, stage the writing. or something. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You have to make it, but we're going to give you an extra. time. You know, mm-hmm. I heard Daniel Craig recently talking about one of the uh, things he doesn't like about his James Bond experience is the uh, the like focus group or the lack of focus group, and for that matter. And sometimes a movie needs that, sometimes it doesn't need that, and it seems like this movie might have been all focus group. If you're taking a four-quadrant movie that you want to have as a summer tentpole, you have to have people in there kind of vetting it, saying, like, this is what worked, this is what didn't. Uh, and I think this is one of those movies that, while it should have had it, at some point, if you don't have enough to cut away from to make it a good movie you're kind of screwed no matter what. And I think this movie played it safe in places it shouldn't have played safe and that, you know, the structure of it. And, uh, but anyway, I, I digress. Uh, it's a movie that I will occasionally watch from time to time, but I don't have any of the warm feelings that I do for, for Ghostbusters or hell, the Frighteners or some other movies in the same vein. I've always said that if you want to make a sequel to something, uh, but you think that you don't have an interesting story to tell within that universe, just take the themes, take the idea yeah. of a supernatural comedy and make something else with the same cast, you know? Mm-hmm. So, 
But uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. You guys got anything else? Um, no, I believe that is it. That that's, closes the book on yeah. Ghostbusters 2. That's the end of the conversation. So uh, yeah, we're about uh, out of time here. So we're going to go ahead and wrap things yeah. up. But uh, yeah. For all, for all the people who really wanted us to touch on Ghostbusters 2, I think, uh, you know, I hope that we um, did it justice. Yeah, you know, and uh, like I was saying at the beginning of the show, it was never really part of our plan to to roll on into Ghostbusters two and break that down minute by minute. But uh, we definitely wanted to address it, and I think that we, or I hope that we uh, have come through for people but, who are been waiting for it. I think we're going to keep the door open uh, if we change our minds at some oh, point yeah. to to maybe do it. But if you're a person who's been listening to this podcast and you're like, no, I want to do Ghostbusters two, do it, do it. That's do what it. I say. Please, yeah. by all means, absolutely. So. Well, Chris, we want to thank you again for coming in today. Uh, this has been a lot it. of really fun. I have a feeling we're going to hear some more from you in the very near future on Hope some stuff. Uh, yeah. So we won't, we won't tell anybody just what's going on just yet, but uh, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So, all right. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and get out of here. And I uh, want to tell everybody who's a Patreon listener out there, uh, we're going to have more news coming down the line about what's going on with our Patreon stuff uh, because, of course, the Ghostbusters Minute show has come to an end now, and we do appreciate your patronage. Uh, the mics we're using now, our computer setup, that's all come from the generous donations that you guys have given us. And uh, we hope that we have fulfilled our end of the bargain by giving you some good entertainment here for your hard-earned money. We do stress that we cannot stress enough <laughs> how much we appreciate everybody out mm-hmm. there opening up their war- their, wa- their wallets and their hearts and uh, you know giving us positive feedback. So we love you guys. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed the journey with us. Uh, just stay tuned. We'll have some information about what's coming down the pipe next. So, all right, for Chris and for Brady and for myself, uh, time is but a door, death a window. That's it, folks. Mm-hmm.